You're listening to a sermon from New City Fellowship in Manassas, Virginia. New City Fellowship is a diverse community that proclaims the gospel and makes disciples for the glory of God and the renewal of our city. For more information, visit newcityfellowship.net. Jesus, I pray. Amen. So we are in, uh, in the book of Acts, and we already went through chapter 1, and we talked about how Jesus comes back uh, after he resurrects and spends 40 days with the apostles, with the women and other disciples, a total of 120 people, and teaches them about the kingdom of God. Then he gives them a commandment, and he tells them to stay in Jerusalem and wait for the promise from the Father, which is the Holy Spirit. And they obey. They go back to Jerusalem after Jesus ascends to heaven. And then um, while they're waiting, there's about a week uh, of time uh, between them coming back, Jesus ascending, them coming back, and then the Holy Spirit coming. And during that week, they decide to, uh, to do a few things. They pray. They are in one accord. And they choose a um, successor for Judas, which is Matthias. And then we come to chapter 2. They're gathered together again, the 120, and the, the Holy Spirit suddenly falls upon them. And they start speaking tongues. We talked about this uh, two weeks ago. And this is happening during, during a feast uh, that the Jews have called the Feast of the Harvest, also called, uh, named Shavuot or Shavuot. And we know it as... Um, I was going to say Passover, but no, Pentecost. And this is why we call this time, or the, fall, the falling of the Holy Spirit, we call it Pentecost, because it fell on that feast. And uh, as they speak in tongues, Jews from all over the world are in Jerusalem celebrating the Passover and also uh, the, the Pentecost feast, uh, Feast of the Harvest. And people start to understand them in their own languages, and there were people from all over the world, even to, from Rome. And um, they are declaring the mighty acts of, war of God to them. And we left the last section, or the first section of the book of Acts, uh, as people are looking at the disciples, speaking in tongues, and they mock them, and they say, these guys are drunk. And we come to this text now, Acts chapter 2, verses 14 to 41. And this is what happens after that. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. This is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy." And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to hate or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Verse 29 says, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, but his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to hate, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and were added to that, uh, added that day about 3,000 souls. So that's a long text. We're going to try to walk through it and see what can we learn from this narrative. Um, I want to highlight a few things before that. This text is significant to us for many reasons. But one of them is that this is the first Christian sermon ever preached. This is the first time that after Jesus is gone from earth and the church has been birthed, a sermon is preached by a Christian. And it's the, as, as in everything that is the first, we will find fundamental elements that we can learn from. And one of the most fundamental elements that we see in this text is how the Spirit works. In fact, the main character in this text, or the main uh, player in this text, is not Peter, is not the 12 or the 120, or the crowd, 
or the sermon itself, it's actually the Holy Spirit at work through all of them and in all the other people. It is the Holy Spirit that we will see working in all these people, in different people, in different places, and even in different times. So the first thing I want to highlight is that the Holy Spirit works throughout Scripture. And what I mean with this is that we see a key element here, and that is that the Holy Spirit is in all Scripture. The Holy Spirit inspired and guided the authors of the Old Testament, and he is now doing it with the authors of the New Testament. He inspired and guided Jesus. He's now inspiring and guiding Peter. And this is important to us because we need to realize how the Old Testament and the New Testament relate to each other and work as one book. One of the blessings we have as a church is that we are no longer just Jews. We don't have the revelation of the Old Testament or the first books. We now have the complement. We now have the second part, the fulfillment of all that in the New Testament. And they are both useful for us. And something that we're going to see from this point on in the book of Acts and in the rest of the New Testament is how the apostles and Paul and the rest of us should utilize and and, and, and embrace the Old Testament. When this has been written, when the New Testament has been written, Paul writes to Timothy and says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. What, what Paul is referring to is the Old Testament. We did not have the New Testament at that time. And this is important for us to see because one of the things that the Holy Spirit does is he reminds us of Scripture. And when we, we talk about Scripture, we talk about the entire Scripture, both uh, Old and New Testament. And as a correction for the church today, we need to understand that they're both important, that both of them relate to each other and, and complement each other, that we would not be able to have the new without the old, and the old would not be complete without, without the new. And today in our society, a lot of Christians are now uh, utilizing terms like unhitching from the, from the Old Testament and embracing the God of the New Testament. I was listening to a, a, a Hispanic uh, pastor. Well, he was a worship leader now turned pastor. And he was basically saying the God of the Old Testament is no longer at work. We now have a new way that God works entirely new. And it's just Jesus. And Jesus is very different from the God of the Old Testament. And, and, and they bring confusing messages to us. But we need to understand that we cannot unhitch or for, for, uh, forsake the Old Testament. We need both of them. The first and most fundamental of all Christian sermons, the first one, sets the tone and demonstrates how both of the Testaments, the covenants, relate to each other. The whole Bible, from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, is one cohesive story of God saving his people. John Stott writes about this, and he says that the God of the Bible is a God who has kept coming to the rescue of his people, who has taken the initiative to save. God and Savior are synonyms throughout the whole 
of the Old Testament. And the same could be said about the New Testament. For the mission of Jesus was a rescue mission. The Holy Spirit utilizes, through the preaching of the Word, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And this is important for us. Because the Holy Spirit also reminds us of Scripture. Before Jesus left, he told us that the Holy Spirit was going to remind us Jesus' words. Peter stands up. He's not planning this. We don't see uh, uh, Peter spending a week writing his sermon notes and then getting up after the, after the, the Holy Spirit came and reading his notes. No, he, he, he didn't even know. The Holy Spirit came without them even knowing when he was going to come. He suddenly is filled with the Spirit. He stands up. He calls everybody's attention, and he starts speaking. And you know what comes out? The Old Testament and the New Testament. And how the Old Testament fulfills itself in Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit reminds us of Scripture, all Scripture. And the Holy Spirit, again, opens our eyes, opens our ears to understand Scripture, to understand how they relate to each other. So we see the Holy Spirit working through the entire Scripture in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And, and what is it that the, that the Holy Spirit reminds Peter off, how the prophecies on the, of the Old Testament are fulfilled in Jesus. One of them is what's happening at the moment. He gets up and says, they're not drunk. This is the fulfillment of a prophecy that we find in the, in the, in the, in the uh, prophet Joel. And probably if you were a Jew, you were like, what? The, 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 if you've ever read the book of Joel, it starts with a, a swarming of locusts coming to them. And Joel gets up and starts uh, warning the people of Israel to repent. And then God responds by saying that he's going to one day save his people and pour his spirit over all flesh. And it's an odd placement. It's in, in Joel chapter 2. And... Peter gets up, and he brightens, opens Peter's eyes, and says, this is exactly what's happening right now. I, probably, I believe that Peter was realizing this as he was saying it, because it was the Holy Spirit telling him and everyone else, this is the fulfillment of Joel. The day of the Lord has come. The beautiful, magnificent day of the Lord came the salvation the, the the day of the lord mean or meant the salvation of god came for everyone now and he not only fulfills joel he also fulfills psalm through david's songs peter realizes and tells everyone that god is fulfilling his plan of salvation in jesus to the point that he says for you will not abandon my soul to hades so meaning Jesus was not going to stay dead for a long time. How long? Well, up until whatever it takes for a, a body to start decaying or seeing corruption. And he says, for, all, for you will not abandon my soul to hate or let your Holy One see corruption. It is impressive that the prophecy from a song from David comes to reality through Jesus' resurrection. And this is again prove that the Holy Spirit works through the entire scripture. The second point I want to highlight is 
that another thing that happens in the fulfillment of, fulfillment of all these prophecies is that the Holy Spirit is doing something that was humanly impossible before. And is breaking all human barriers. Let's just read quickly what Peter quotes from, uh, from the prophet Joel. And it says, And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on your male servants and your female servants. And on those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. If you are a Jew reading this, it is very confusing. Because a lot of things that he's saying are just going across different human barriers. For instance, men and women were not necessarily able to do these things in the Old Testament. Young, young people, kids, were not allowed to do a lot of these things before. So what the Holy Spirit is coming and doing is that he's breaking this homogeneous church or homogeneous way of thinking from the Jews and telling them from now on, it's for everybody across ethnic or geographic or gender barriers. And then he even includes classes. Now your servants will do it too. Your servants will be able to get the power of the Holy Spirit. And the church is birthed with the Holy Spirit breaking human barriers, a call to all people. And now we see a church that is filled with all kinds of people, a church with people from different uh, educational backgrounds, from different ethnic backgrounds. The church is a place where we can unite in Christ and reconcile and forget about all those things. And this is an amazing thing that it's, it's easy to read. It's easy for us to read these words and say yes, but it is really hard. And I've, I've, I've said this before, and we talked about this in our series in Ephesians. It is really hard to break through human barriers. And we see it today, too. I've, I've shared this a couple of times with, with you guys, but for me as a pastor in a community in Manassas, sometimes it's hard to understand the community. I am way more comfortable being in Mexico City with Mexicans who eat what I eat and have the same jokes that I, that I have and understand what I'm saying without me saying it. It's way easier. I can talk to them in a different way. I can see what they're, I can even like read their body language. And here I'm always guessing and thinking and I'm like, did I, wait, what, how, what did you say? How did, and I'm, sometimes I have to reread text messages like three times, like yesterday. Now I'm deciphering letters. Like what in the world is your BRBs and your TBDs and your WTH and uh, TDL? I'm like, what? I'm barely, I barely speak English and now I'm like trying, are we going back to hieroglyphics or something like that? What, what is happening? It's hard. It's really hard to get along with other people. And this is just like in interactions. And then there's, there's foods, there's, there's smells, there's traditions, there's a way of parenting, there's ways of all kinds. And it's just really, really hard. 
And the Holy Spirit falls on all these Jews, and he opens it up to everybody. This is hard, but this is what the Holy Spirit is doing. The Holy Spirit breaks human barriers that we just can't do in our own strength. And then it goes beyond that. Now the power of Holy Spirit is available to everybody. Did you notice that men and women now can prophesy? That's outrageous. They will have visions and dreams. The young too. God will use children. That was exclusive to priests and prophets back in the Old Testament. And now, today, the Holy Spirit comes upon all flesh, and this is available to everybody. That's what we call in Christianity the priesthood of all believers. That's why we don't have a pope. That's why we don't have a priest that we go and confess your sins to so that you can be forgiven. No, we have free, all of us have free, equal access to God. And Peter tells us that. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. It's no longer Israel. It's no longer the Levites. It's all of us. We are all people of his own possession. But he has a purpose. The purpose is to continue the same story that started in Genesis. God saving people. Why are we the chosen race, the royal priesthood, the holy nation, and the people that are his own possession? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Marvelous light. That is the purpose. The Holy Spirit brought salvation to the entire world, broke all the barriers, and God is now pouring his spirit on anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. But how does the Holy Spirit does this? This is what we see again, that the Holy Spirit brings salvation to all people through the preaching of the gospel. The, the third thing we see here is that the Holy Spirit moves us to preach the gospel. And this is important as well. Because apart from the spotlight being on how the Spirit works, the sermon itself is important to us. And as I said before, this sermon is fundamental. It sets the tone and it sets the direction of the millions of sermons after this one. And one of the key ways a Christian sermon differs from all other sermons is that it is centered in Jesus and in the gospel. As Christians, we have no other message. Our message is what, Paul, what, what, what Peter is saying here, is Jesus. Everything he says is about how Jesus lived, how Jesus died, the fulfillment of the Old Testament in Jesus, and what Jesus offers to us. And the Holy Spirit is utilizing Peter to point us to Jesus. And that is exactly what we should be doing in churches that are Christian today. Our message is always the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news of salvation through Jesus. And the Holy Spirit will always move us to do that. 
And that is one of my biggest issues with a lot of churches that talk a lot about the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit always somehow ends up giving you uh, words for a better job or, or a better outcome on things. Or, or, and sometimes it's like the Holy Spirit focuses a lot on me. And the reality is that Jesus said the Holy Spirit is going to be about me, Jesus. About exalting me, reminding you of my words. And that's what we see here. Peter stands up and talks about Jesus. And some of the key elements that we see here are the elements of a typical, healthy proclamation of the gospel. We see Peter talking about his birth. He says in verse 22, he was born in Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth. That means Jesus came, God came for us because we are unable to go to him, Jesus became incarnate and came to us. Then he talks about his life. Verse 22 says, A man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. Jesus came to live as our substitute. He did everything we were not able to do. He was sinless. He worked in the power of God. He lived selflessly. He was our substitute. He was attested. He was sent by God to us. He also mentions Jesus' death. He says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless man. The death of Jesus is important when we talk about the gospel. Because this is what gives us the forgiveness of sin, the, the, the life that we uh, don't deserve, but we are given by grace. Death, the death of Jesus, is something that we cannot um, not say when we present the gospel. It also talks about our guilt. Did you catch how many times Peter blames everyone in front of him for Jesus' death? I don't know if you noticed this, but a lot of people have problems with this. Peter says in verse 23, this Jesus that you crucified and killed. And many of those people were not even in Jerusalem when this was happening. They were from Rome or from Asia. And Peter says, you crucified and killed him. And in verse 36, he says, this, this Jesus whom you crucified. He says it twice. Because another part of, uh, an elemental part of the gospel is that we are guilty of Jesus' death because of our sin. It is our sin that crucified Jesus on the cross. It is our fault, our responsibility that we owe God because of our sin the punishment of his son. But he pays for us. He fulfills our debt. He resurrects in verse 24. God raises him. And he's exalted. He's now being made both Lord and Christ. And at the end, Peter ends with how the gospel should always end. With an invitation to respond. Repent and be baptized. Everyone, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So what we see here is that the Holy Spirit takes us 
to preach the gospel of salvation to everyone. And the one who does the work is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit reminds you. The Holy Spirit uh, makes you preach. The Holy Spirit works through your preaching. And the Holy Spirit also works on the other person. The Holy Spirit changes lives. Peter stands up. The guy who denied Christ publicly now stands up and proclaims Christ bravely before thousands of people. There's a, a, an Ecuadorian pastor, his name is Freddy Morocho Bernardino, and he says, talking about this same passage, the coward is made brave. Peter no longer flees or denies Christ three times. Now he stands up and defends Christ. The one who denies now exalts. The one who flees now contends. When we are in Christ, we become courageous and no longer fear people when we talk to them about Jesus because God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power. We see the Holy Spirit taking a coward and now raising him to be the first Christian preacher. And if you fast forward, 3,000 people, because of the Spirit, became believers. Not because of Peter. Because of the, of the Spirit. And it's not only Peter. It's all the 12. Among them, Thomas, the skeptic, is now standing with a strong conviction Preaching to a crowd without a doubt. The same disciples who struggle to cast out demons and heal the sick are going to be seeing in the book of Acts doing all of those things in a whole new level. Why? Because of the Holy Spirit. Because they have the power of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit changes lives. And that can happen today. This is not just something we read about. This is something that can happen today. And this could happen with you. One of the main reasons why I am a believer today is because I saw this firsthand. We had a, <clears throat> a meeting with a, a few parents, a few fathers, and I was reflecting on my dad as many uh, were doing that. And I remembered that I saw uh, an alcoholic father who was about to get a divorce from my mom, and I, was, I witnessed the fights, I witnessed the tension in my family. My sister and I were already making decisions on whether we were going to go with mom or whether we were going to go with dad. Uh, we, always, we ended up saying we were going to go with grandma because that was what we wanted to do. And one day, we attended a church. And I saw my dad on the first set Sunday come to the front. They did an altar call, crying. And I was, I was uh, 11 years old. I saw my dad come to the front crying, and I went with him. My sister went with him, and we hauled my dad. And he was crying, and I started crying because my dad was crying. And then after that, I saw my dad take a radical turn, never miss church, 
go all the way into church. I saw my dad, who has zero emotions whatsoever, if you know him, he barely has any emotions, jumping up and down in church when he heard worship. His marriage turned around. He stopped drinking. My mom stopped smoking. My whole family just flipped. And I saw the power of the Holy Spirit working in my... I didn't know it was the power of the Holy Spirit. I just saw a change. And from that moment on, I have never been able to deny the power of Christ. I've gone through faith crisis. I've gone through my own stuff with Jesus. But I've seen it. I saw it working in my family. And that is exactly what's happening here. This people that were fighting for who was going to be the best friend of Jesus and who was going to sit at his right and his left, now suddenly are just giving their lives out for him. We have the exact same power and the, the exact same message today with us. And like I said before, reading chapter 2 of the book of Acts should remind us that we can be something we're not because of the Holy Spirit. And we don't need to rely on our own strength. As we go about our lives in Manassas, and this is something I need to remind myself, myself of, I can be, and I can do things that I can't do it on, I can do in my own strength. I hesitate to talk to people about Jesus. I sometimes don't even want to say I'm a pastor because immediately everything turns awkward. I have to be careful of everything. But in the spirit, I can do things that I cannot do in my own strength. And all I have to do is trust in him. 3,000 people were converted by the power of the Holy Spirit through regular people. And I want to challenge us all. Let's step into this. Our faith is supernatural. Our faith is not a natural faith. Our faith, and whatever, whether somebody becomes a Christian or not, does not depend on you. It's not on, on your theology level. It's not on your, on your holiness level. It's not on, on whether your life is perfect or if you had an argument with your wife. Or, it doesn't matter. It's the Holy Spirit working through you to change people's lives. And if you're here and you have not experienced this, I want to tell you, do not put your eyes on us necessarily. Even though we play a part, we're going to fail you. Christians are going to fail you. It doesn't matter what church you go to, you're going to be failed. A pastor is going to do something, say something. A brother is going to do something or say something. You're going to be failed. That's, I can guarantee that. But we have a Holy Spirit that is with you, that loves you. We have a God that loves you, that wants you, that will never fail you, and he will change your life forever. The gospel is for everybody. The gospel is a supernatural power that comes from God, not from the church, not from the, not from the pulpit, not from me, from the pastor, or from anyone. It comes from God, from the Holy Spirit that can change your life. Many of us here are dealing with stuff that we just can't get over or we can't overcome, and we need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to understand that he can do it. Jesus said, it is convenient for you that I leave because I'm going to send you a helper. But our tendency is to 
quench the Spirit. Our tendency is to try to do it on our own strength. Our tendency is to grieve the Spirit, is to ignore the power of the Holy Spirit. Our tendency is to resist the Holy Spirit. This is exactly what, what we see in the New Testament. In 1 Thessalonians 5, we are told to do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Do not test everything and hold fast to what is good. In Ephesians 4.30, we are told, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. In Acts 7, uh, we are rebuked. Use still neck and, and uncircumcising heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. And this is us too today. And I want to repeat this quote again from Sam Storms. We quench the Spirit anytime we rely on any resource other than the Holy Spirit for anything we do in life and ministry. Any attempt to conjure up hope apart from that power, which is the Spirit, in Romans 15, 13, is to quench Him. Any attempt to, perse to persevere in ministry and remain patient with joy by any other means that the Spirit is to quench Him. Any effort or strategy to carry out pastoral ministry other than through his energy that he powerfully works within me is to quench the spirit. Any attempt to resolve to carry out some good work of faith through a power other than the spirit is to quench him. Our life is not something we do on our strength. We can change in the power of the Holy Spirit, not through our own strength. I want to encourage us all to rely on the Holy Spirit, to spread the gospel. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to help us talk to people. Let's rely on the Holy Spirit to see people's lives transformed. Let's rely on the Holy Spirit to see our own lives transformed. Let's rely on the Holy Spirit to proclaim the gospel of Jesus in the same way that Peter did. And if you're not a believer today, this power is available to you as well through the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel means that you are a sinner, just like all of us here, that you are far away from God, that we love and you love your sin, but Jesus comes because God sends him to rescue us, to come after us, to bring us back to him because we are unable to turn to him. And that through the death on the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, we are now accepted and we have now forgiveness of sin and eternal life for free. You don't have to do anything. You just have to repent and turn to Jesus and accept that you need help and God will give you the power of the Holy Spirit. That is exactly what Peter said. This promise is for anyone, for you and for your children. And I want to invite us all to take advantage of this today. And as